this morning. Psalm 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he watches over Israel, never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. So we're going to worship him this morning, if you would stand with us.
say good morning to someone next to you, and then you can have a seat. guys. Uh, welcome to Regeneration. Um, we're glad to have you here. Uh, my name's Mike. My name's Mike. Um, if you're new here, uh, there's a small card in the welcome packet to sign up for weekly emails, uh, the reconnect. Also, we have a gift at the back, in the back table. Um, so after church today, there is a Hallmark party, um, <laughs> guest starring Lacey Chaubert. Yes. Um, we'll share lunch, decorate for Christmas, and rehearse the joint Christmas song with our friends from the 930 service. Um, Summit Thanksgiving dinner is coming up this week. We'll be prepping Monday night at 5 p.m., then serve lunch Tuesday from 9 to 1 at the Grace Campus. Uh, thanks to everyone who provided pies. Uh, the Christ Christmas candlelight is Sunday, December 22nd at 4 and 7 p.m., um, and if you have a Facebook or Instagram account, you can check in online using the hashtag RegenGives, which generates a donation to Jeff and Christy Lothamer, who are doing ministry in the UK. Uh, now Jairus will come up and pray for the offering. Thanks. Hi. Um, before I pray... <clears throat> We're going to pass around the buckets, and just when you get it, just pass it back. And you can also give on myregen.org, I believe. Is that, is that correct, Kyle? Yes. All right. Yes, sure. And then uh, after I pray, Josh is going to pass the buckets out here. So, God, thank you so much for who you are, that uh, we, we can celebrate that today. And, and we're glad that we can come no matter what condition we're in. Um, if we're, we've had a bad day, a, a good day, a good week, a bad week, um, we thank you so much. We thank you that you're a generous host. Um, and just uh, may we be generous back towards you here in our, in our everyday lives, with our time, with our money, with everything that we are. Amen.
We come to church in the midst of busyness and chaos and distraction, and we come in juggling kids and lives and jobs and stress and worry and grief. And the reason I say that is because on the one hand, I'm okay with that, but on the other hand, you saying that like you weren't sure it was good news. Um, this is good news that we gather around today. This is a good Father in whose presence we gather. It is a good Jesus who for us and for our, our salvation came down. It is a good Spirit who moves in this place. So can you keep leading us just a little while longer? Once you were dead, and once you were dead, 
because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, because he loved us so much, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is by grace you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united to Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And by the way, you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Instead, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Oh, Father, you love us with a great love. We are the objects of your mercy and grace, the incredible wealth of your heavenly resources. And so we pray that as we draw our attention to you this morning, we would be more than just people who believe some truths. We pray that we would be people who live in the fullness of our body, hearts on fire, minds clear, this gospel. That what we say, what Steph and I say today would equip us to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Beloved. Evidently, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, everybody come to church day. I don't know. Hey, everybody. Uh, kids are going back with Miss Renee, so off they go. And uh, I got your back, girl. Don't you worry about a thing. There it is. I was like, there's a document. Am I on? Hello? I was like, there's a document. It's on this iPad. I don't know where it's at. Okay. Um, well, good morning. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. I was kind of one of those people coming in and kind of a flurry. We had food. I had Jack. The diaper bag was in Kyle's car. I even had Joel and Allie, our friends here from Detroit. I had like two extra set of hands, and I still was coming in at the last minute filming hot. a hot mess. So um, here we are. Pray for our nursery worker. There's a lot of kids back there. Um, so we want to talk this morning about spiritual mothers and fathers, spiritual parenting. And this is something that God has really been growing in me, um, especially over the last couple of years. Uh, I grew up in churches um, that were very um, male-led, male-dominated. And so as we've been kind of looking at the fact that there's two aspects to life within the church, there's um, an aspect of relationship right? Like we're in relationship with one another. And then there's also this aspect of responsibility. So who's going to lead, make decisions, um, and help advance the kingdom. And growing up um, in South Dakota, which is pretty conservative, and conservative churches, um, there was very much a sense that the women did the relationships um, and the men did the leadership and the responsibility. And so um, as we have been studying scripture uh, together and as we have been um, being discipled and mentored by other couples, um, we've come to realize that there is a more full picture here, that there's a picture in which men and women both are part of the relationship and the responsibility. And I think that that feels um, freeing to me because when I was in the culture that was more male-led, 
um, there was still a lot of female input. It was just always kind of um, like backdoor, backroom dealings, right? So like the men would go to the meetings, would come home from the meetings, tell their wife what was happening. She would give input, hopefully wise counsel. He would come back to the meeting, share his opinion, and then that was the decision that was made. So women were still being part of the decisions, but it wasn't done in an open and honoring way that um, gave value to their insight and their wisdom and their perspective. It kind of had to like channel through their husbands. Um, and also, and then if you were single, that really kind of left you out of the loop and out of the life hmm. of the church. Yeah, <clears throat> if you didn't have a husband to kind of be your, your person that was speaking for you. Um, and there was also a lot of talk about um, strong women who wanted to overtake the church and take over the leadership of the church. And um, I think that was interesting for me as someone who um, had a lot of opinions and kind of felt like often I was too much in the culture I was raised in, um, too smart, too many opinions. Um, didn't think it was funny when men, men made jokes about women being stupid or in the kitchen or whatever, which, because my parents didn't raise me to be like that. So I kind of had a sense of like, this is not, not how it should be. Um, but as I um, saw that there was this culture that was around me and there was kind of this fear of being a strong woman because strong women wanted to kind of take over the church, that also didn't ring true for me because most of the women that I knew, honestly, were really concerned with um, raising their families, serving in the church, um, maybe even serving outside the home if they were working. So they, it wasn't like they were sitting around plotting how to take over the church. Their heart was to raise families that love Jesus and to be part of the church um, and to be part of what was happening there. And so um, as Kyle stepped into being a lead pastor and a church planner, it became pretty apparent to us that we needed to be in this together, um, that he couldn't do it alone. And not just in the sense of like, I needed to be cheering him on, but in the sense that like, we both kind of needed to put our shoulders down and just work really hard, especially to get Regen off the ground. Yeah. Um, and so um, Kyle and I were, have... I think we also didn't have good examples of this. That's and true. so that was something we didn't know how to do well. Yeah. And so as we stepped into the discipleship ministry that's been training us, um, there have been a couple of couples, but one in particular, um, uh, Paul and Ellie McConaughey, who we just observed doing ministry together and really um, teaching and leading out of their giftings, which were different, but together doing that for the sake of the gospel and for more people to know Christ. And so as we kind of watched them, um, that really was a huge encouragement to me and, and a mentor, an example. And so um, Ellie actually has stepped out of 3DM. And so um, Kyle and I were on the team to help lead. And we were both kind of burdened because there wasn't a woman that was able to kind of fill in her spot. So um, I was asked to be on the team. And through that, as I got to kind of share, um, we shared a testimony together. We led a discipleship group together. And then I was able to be part of the team that gave feedback to these churches um, one of the male pastors came up to me after and said, I just want you to know that most of the things that were stuck out to me this week were things that you said. And I went home to my wife and told her, like, I want us to lead together because she has so much to offer that our church is missing out on. And so that What to he me, actually said was, which is hard for you to say, is the most valuable thing anyone has said to me all week came from a woman. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hard for you to say that. Heart, yeah, yeah, but... Um, but so, um, so I just, I wanted to, so as we preach the sermon. I was like, okay, I want to step into this as something we're trying to lean into um, together because it makes me sad to think about the churches that have missed out on women's leadership, their wisdom, their perspective, and their discernment beca just because of their gender. Because mm. if we think about that, that's a huge loss to our churches. Um, and I also just want to say it's not easy to lead a biological or spiritual family together. <laughs> like this has been one of the most challenging seasons of Kyle's in my life in ministry. Um, having Jack 
um, has just challenged us. Like we used to just kind of run together. That was really easy. We could do everything together. And now, A, we want to make sure Jack feels loved and nurtured and part of our family. But we also um, want to make sure that we're still living into our ministry callings. And so how do we do both of those well? So that's definitely something that we're still leaning into. Yeah, and in the spirit of being living examples, not perfect examples, I mean, we have had more marriage moments, is how we call Doesn't them. Doesn't sound nice? Marriage moments. <laughs> uh, does not, nice. uh, 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 since having Jack, and really since about July, <laughs> uh, since uh, then we not have, and we're, 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 we've been married seven years, since in seven years of marriage, more in the last like three or four months. And, and so the spirit of why we're kind of teaching this part today is kind of to round out this series where what we've been saying lately has been we are priming the pump for revival and renewal in, in our region. And in renewal and revival, men and women are always together or even sometimes women are out in front. And so we wanted to let women run uh, in our midst. We wanted to give you permission to run and go. But we also know there's something really important about men and women doing this together, whether you're married or not. And so the sermon in which we want to kind of explore what this radical calling of women to lead in the kingdom looks like in, in terms of men and women together, we are going to talk about marriage. I want to say this out front, but we want to kind of unpack that in terms of what if you're single and also like what if your spouse isn't fully on board with you. Right, So usually in a lot of marriages we see, without stealing too much of your content, one person is kind of leaning a little more forward, and so we want to work with that. And again, to be living examples means to say, like, we do not do this perfectly. I, as a husband and a dad, have been harsh with Steph and harsh with Jack in the last few months, impatient with Steph, impatient with Jack, um, in a way that, it's interesting, kind of violates my core convictions so I was kind of living into this place. I hadn't planned on telling you this, but I was kind of living into this place of... He's off script now. This is off script now. Um, living into this place of kind of very defensively saying, this is my full-time job and you need to work it out. And so you need to figure out childcare. And by the way, Steph is the discipleship director here at our church. She's a paid staff member. Um, and so... I was also saying, and by the way, in, in between working it out with our son, you also need to perform in your job in the way that I expect you to peace out. And um, not my most shining moment as a husband or a dad, right? And so um, have since come to a lot of repentance, and we've really entered into a better pattern of being on the same team. So that's kind of what we want to press into is how do we, if we're married, be on the same team? If we're unmarried, or if our marriage isn't working out in that way yet, how do, we, how do we as men and women partner together for the gospel? Because if you remember back in that first installment of this series when we looked at Genesis 1, Genesis 1 was all about men and women as counterpartners, not counterparts, counterpartners as Adam and Eve share equally in the task of ruling and reigning. Um, how, do we, how do we come alongside of that? Um, the second week, Pam did a really good job about like encouraging women not to self-silence. Last week, we looked at a really difficult passage, and one of the comments I made that I think is important is that it was really not a sermon about women being quiet, but about men growing up. And so we're kind of trying to push all of that and then bring um, marriage and husband and wife into it together. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. The book of Acts is 
written by Luke, written by the gospel author Luke. It's the sequel to his book. The the book says, you know, in my previous book, I told you all the things that Jesus began to do. And the implication of it is, and now I'm going to tell you about the things that Jesus continues to do through the early church and through his first followers. And it's a book that kind of revolves around some key figures in the church, one of whom is Paul. And so in Acts 18, we're zooming in on Paul um, in the city of Corinth. It says this in chapter 18, verse 1 of the book of Acts. Paul then left Athens and went to Corinth. He's going from a pretty significant city in the Mediterranean world to another pretty significant city. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Verse 3 says, Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers. Uh, In Acts 17, the prior chapter, Paul preaches this really powerful sermon, a very thoughtful sermon to the Greeks in Athens. He, excuse me. I got a little verklempt. I'm fine. Um, He moves from that city into Corinth. And when he arrives, he meets this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla are in Corinth because they've been chased out of Rome. Jews were evicted from Rome at this time. This was kind of connected to persecution that would then fall on Christians. Paul meets them. Uh, They have the same trade. So Paul is invited to live in Priscilla and Aquila's home. And so during this time in Corinth, Paul finds that the gospel work there is particularly fruitful. Look, just jump down to verse 9. It says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and said, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. I think that's a great verse, by the way. There are people in your life that don't know Jesus that already belong to Jesus. So can I encourage you to be bold in that way, to speak up? But anyway, so Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, the next 18 months, teaching the word of God. Paul's been preaching the gospel in public places. The text says in Acts that he's been going house to house and doing the same thing. He's finding a ton of fruitfulness there. It's just going well, despite the fact that there was really a remarkable amount of opposition and persecution that was falling on Paul. The gospel work that he was doing was really, really, really fruitful. So Paul gets this vision that God says, hey, I've got people in the city. I need you to stay put. So Paul, it says, stays there for 18 months. But I want you to think about two things right next to each other. It says earlier in the chapter, that Paul is living with Priscilla and Aquila. And then it says later in the chapter that he's living there for 18 months. Leading us to think that Paul lived with Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth for a year and a half. Now, my grandpa says that fish and guests stink after three days. Um, And so that violates that rule a little bit. But Priscilla and Aquila's hospitality is returned to them in kind as Paul invests in them and disciples them, becomes extended spiritual family with Priscilla and Aquila. And during that time, Paul discovers that Priscilla and Aquila, this married couple, are particularly useful to him in ministry. And so if you jump down to verse 18 of chapter 18, it says, Paul stayed in Corinth for some time and then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters going to nearby Cancheria. Don't know what that is. If you read it fast and proud, nobody knows that you don't know what the word means. Okay, 
There he shaved his head, according to Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. They stopped first at the port of Ephesus, where Paul left the others, i.e. Priscilla and Aquila, behind. They asked him to stay longer. He declined. He said, as he left, I will come back. I will come back later. He sent sail from Ephesus. See what happens in chapter 18 is Paul gets to yet another significant city in the Mediterranean world, Ephesus, and he's called to move on, but leaves Priscilla and Aquila there to lead the church. But what does that mean? What does it mean to lead the church? What does it mean that Priscilla went with Aquila and Paul to Ephesus and to all of these places? Does it mean that Paul said, all right, guys, it's time to move on. Priscilla, could you pack the bags and make us sandwiches while Aquila and I plan out the ministry that we're going to do in the city? No. What it meant was that Priscilla and Aquila together evenly were with Paul shoulder to shoulder. And the way that we know this is in all of the times that Priscilla is named in the New Testament. And she's named here in Acts 18. She's also named in Romans chapter 16. And she's also named in Corinthians and 2 Timothy. In almost all of those instances, all of them but two, Priscilla's name comes first. Priscilla's name comes first. For example, in Romans 16, greet Prissa. Prissa is her full name. Um, I don't know among who among you, what? While I was trying to make somebody else feel embarrassed, but yes. So Stephanie is her full name. So Prissa, as opposed to Steph or Priscilla, right, is kind of the nickname version. Uh, Greet Prissa and Aquila, Paul says, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. All the churches of the Gentiles means all of the early churches around the Mediterranean know who Priscilla and Aquila is. And and because Priscilla's name comes first, most scholars have this sense that Priscilla offers a lot. That if there was a competition, if it came down to who's better, that it might be Priscilla that has more spiritual authority and more spiritual capital and more spiritual leadership in their marriage. That's why her name comes first. It's not random. It's an intentional wink from the authors of the New Testament, Paul and Luke, to give us the sense that this married couple wasn't just Aquila leading the way and Priscilla keeping the house clean. It was Priscilla and Aquila working together for the gospel. And that all comes to a head at the end of this chapter. So we're going to go ahead and look at verses uh, 24 and 26, um, which says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. So Apollos kind of just pops on the scene here. So just a couple of points about him and who he is. Um, Apollos was an important figure in the church at Corinth. Um, and at some points was even kind of considered like a rival with Paul. There's a scripture that says like people were saying like, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul. So he's um, influential within the church. Um, it's, uh, the verses we just read talk about how he was a gifted communicator. Uh, he was eloquent. He was intelligent. He knew scripture. Um, he had that enthusiasm. He was bold. Um, and also we, well, we're going to see in a moment here that Apollos was teachable. Um, So he wasn't just like a young guy with a big head. Like he actually wanted to know. He wanted to learn and be correctly um, presenting the gospel. And finally, Apollos was a missionary. 
So he had traveled to Corinth, and then we're going to see him um, continue on in his travels to to reach church um, throughout Asia. So in verses 27 and 28, it says, Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments and public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. So what happened between Apollos arriving and teaching a not complete gospel to him being sent out by the church in Ephesus to go to another church where he was um, debating with the Jews publicly, teaching the gospel, and people were being saved? Well, it was that conversation with Priscilla and Aquila. And again, um, Priscilla's listed first, so that kind of leads us to believe that she may have had more input into that conversation. So I'm kind of picturing, you know, here's this missionary couple. They're passionate about the gospel, about reaching people. This young guy shows up. They can tell he's gifted. He's passionate about Jesus. He's telling everybody everything he knows, but they quickly realize he actually doesn't know enough or everything, which when it comes to the gospel, like enough it doesn't can't just be enough it has to be correct so they pull him aside and have a conversation with him where he is teachable he hears them about the the lacking parts that he has in the gospel and they train and disciple him so that the church in Ephesus feels comfortable sending him on to the church at Ki where he teaches and people come to know Jesus Um, and this always makes me think of when Aaron was living with us there were moments where there were conversations that I could have with him that Kyle just couldn't. He couldn't hear in the same way from Kyle as he could from me. And so I think, like, when we talk about both being in ministry, um, you may have, it's not that there's equal perspectives or even that you're going to come at everything in the same way. It's that you both have perspectives that need to be heard and that one of you may be able to reach someone in a different way than the other one could. I think what we're trying to do today is kind of tease at a thread in the New Testament that casual reading kind of causes you to gloss over, especially when you're reading the New Testament, there's all these names going by you, and you don't always pay attention to, wait a minute, I've seen this name elsewhere, and this, these people are described this way, and so what we're trying to do is tease out this thread, and that as we tease out what we see about Priscilla and Aquila, what we begin to get a sense of is that theirs is a marriage turned outward. Theirs is a marriage turned outward, That they see their marriage not just as a place of retreat, which a healthy marriage is, like we need to come back in and put up the drawbridge and kind of regroup. Um, It's not just an oasis of intimacy, but their marriage is also a base of operations, a base of operations for the kingdom. And together, Priscilla and Aquila position themselves really as spiritual mothers and fathers in the early church. They are giving birth Sure, maybe to biological children we don't know about, but they are giving birth to spiritual children as they disciple them and share the gospel with them, and they're nurturing those children in the same way that we're called to nurture Jack um, as they continue to grow in their faith. And this is really kind of connecting to something Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul says, uh, I am not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. He says, even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, he says, you only had one spiritual father. How did I become your father? He says, I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. In, In the handful of years that we've been pastoring Regen, we've had the amazing opportunity to see people come to faith in our presence. 
And when that happens, as we've shared the gospel with them and they say yes, those are more than just dear friends. Um, Those are more than just people we want to invest in. The Bible says that my relationship with them is parent-child. My relationship with them is parent-child, and it is on me to nurture them spiritually, just like it's on us to nurture, spir- nurture in every way, Jack. And so we want to come alongside really everyone in our community in that way. That's how we feel. I, I like this idea um, from Galatians 4, which real quick, go back to this idea. He says, I urge you to imitate me. I mean, Paul and Ellie said this when they were here for marriage conference, but the vast majority of parenting is imitation because we tell our kids, you know, do as I say, not as I do. But really, our kids do as we do. They imitate us. And so there's this life-on-life investment that is called for um, in spiritual parenting. Paul says in Galatians 4, I like this verse. It's about labor pains. I've had a cavity filled, so I know what labor pains are like. Right? So it's like similar. Uh, oh, my dear children. I know, you know that I know I'm kidding, right? Okay, cool. Uh, you, oh, my dear children, he says, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. We didn't say it this way earlier, but as your spiritual parents, as people who spiritually parent you, um, or spiritually like grandchild you upwardly somehow, um, I don't know how that works all the time, but um, when you see setback and heartache and, and rough seasons, that just shatters us in our house. And when you see breakthrough and you take ground and you move forward, it is like, having parties in our house because we feel so attached to you. And that's really what Priscilla and Aquila become is through this investment and emotional risk, Priscilla and Aquila give us this model for husbands and wives in particular to live a common purpose for the gospel, for this relationship to become a fertile field for gospel work to happen. But of course, the question would be, how do we live into this? And that's what we want to talk about now. And as we do, we want to think about What does it look like to become spiritual mothers and fathers? Uh, We want to think about how this looks in marriage. We want to think about how this looks when you're single. We want to think about how this looks, again, when you and your partner are not on the same page entirely. And so why don't you talk a little bit about hospitality? Yeah. So whether you're single or married, um, one way that we can live into this is found right here in this text with hospitality. Um, a willingness to share our space and our lives with one with people, and sometimes that may just be like a meal or two, um, and sometimes that may be something like someone moving into your home, like Aaron um, or Sarah did. Um, Aaron was with us for like a year and nine months. Sarah was with us um, for about a year. Um, Kathy, in turn, was with us for three months. Um, and in those relationships, um, just like Paul with Priscilla and Aquila, there can be mutual discipleship that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, iron and, sharpens iron. And when yeah. we live together, it's even more intense because, let's be honest, it's really easy to sit and have lunch with someone and maybe give them some wise counsel. It is another thing to have someone live in your home and see you when you're with your spouse having a marriage moment and having to figure out how to navigate that while a 25-year-old man is watching you. <laughs> Not that that ever happened. <laughs> Um, it's very humbling and it's very, it's a huge sense of accountability as well to have someone, um, good practice for parenting, I'm guessing. Um, so as we spent that time, um, with, with them and discipling them and as they even in some ways discipled us, that happened at an intensive level that doesn't just happen over dinner. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and if you are a parent or a grandparent or you have children living in your home, you're also experiencing that, right? You are discipling day in and day out morning to night. 
Um, and so we want to encourage you in that, that those moments that seem small can be some of the biggest moments, that as you live faithfully in front of others, mm -hmm. that God is doing things in their lives that you can't even see. Mm -hmm. um, the other reason we um, think we do together is pre-marriage. And part of the reason we do that together is because when we sit and have a conversation, I may see or hear something that is different from what Kyle is seeing or hearing. Or often, Kyle will identify with one member of the couple and I'll kind of identify with the other member of the couple. And there are ways that we, either each of us can speak into that um, that maybe will help them um, that the other can't. And so um, as we think about hospitality, we say this all the time, but it doesn't have to be a big deal. Like if you love throwing gourmet meals and decorating the table, that's awesome. Go for it. If you don't, just have someone over for canned soup or order pizza. Um, it doesn't have to be about what you're eating. It's about the conversation. It's about those conversations like Priscilla and Aquila had with Apollos that changed the direction of his faith so that he could ripple effect, um, bring more people to Christ. Hospitality and opening your home is about making space for those kinds of conversations mm -hmm. so that people will be transformed and will go and transform the lives of other people. I think for us, what we try to do is whenever we have an opportunity to do something together, we're going to do it together. Um, and sometimes, I, what I think was pretty cool in the culture of our church is we don't know anything different because from the foundation, Steph and I have kind of set that. But when we got to Grace Campus, um, our first Sunday there, here's what happens when you start at a new church. No one tells you the rules or the expectations. They assume that you know. They don't tell you. And so, or they assume someone else lets you know. So we get to Grace, and that first Sunday, we walk down and we sit in the second row, and I lead worship from there. I get up and pray, and then I sit back down, and I do this, and the next week it happened again. And finally, someone at Grace called me and is like, we just got to tell you, we think you're the cutest things. And I was like, why? And they, I mean, I know, but why? Uh, <laughs> and she said, um, well, because we've never had a pastor and his wife sit next to each other in, in the sanctuary. And I thought to myself, yes, thank you. Somebody's looking at me like, what? I mean, I've, the wife would I, usually sit in the back and the husband would sit up on the stage. Or so, you know what I mean? And I was like, I've ne we've never conceived of doing anything differently. And that's just a small thing. But we really shoot to do what we do, whether it's pre-marriage, unless you were the couple we were seeing on Thursday and Jack freaked out and Steph had to do it by herself. But um, we really look for the opportunities that we can do together. And one thing that occurs to me now that we haven't talked about was um, I think there's a good culture here at Regen where um, if we're not serving together, we're serving in parallel and not to call people out, but like Randy and Jairus do this well because like Randy's often up on the platform. So Jairus is also here kind of also doing something. And so there's kind of, if they can't do it like together, like they can't get in the same mic, that'd be weird. Um, they can serve in parallel. And so finding ways to do that where if you can't do that one thing together, if you can do it at the same, if you can do at least different things at the same time, that's a big step to how we just develop a culture of spiritual mothering and fathering in our marriages because um, one of the things that Steph and I really have a clear conviction about that has only been brought further out over the last three years and named and given shape to is that what we have unique giftings that improve each other's gifts. We have unique giftings that improve each other's gifts. 
And so I think even as we think about Priscilla and Aquila, we wonder, well, who, we tend to operate in a scarcity mentality. Like if Priscilla goes first, there was less for Aquila. If Aquila went first, there was less for Priscilla. And in the kingdom, we deny a, a scarcity mentality. We have a mentality of abundance. And that means when Steph steps forward for her gifts to shine, it is not that my gifts shine less. It is that actually her gifts make mine better. And so I think exploring in your marriage how do our gifts make each other's gifts better and stronger and how do we do that together is a really key. So it's looking for those opportunities to do what you're doing together, which is a big step toward doing what Priscilla and Aquila did. So what if you're sitting here and you're single and you're like, okay, this is Would a you nice you raise your talk. hand if you're single? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, so you may be thinking like, okay, this is great. I wish I had someone to do this stuff with. I don't, so what do I do? By the way, if you're single at Regen, we love you and see you. And like in a church where there's like 27,000 babies and couples, like we really do believe that you make our community richer. Just want to say, so. Yes. No, we do. Um, and so I spent most of my 20s single until... Um, Kyle finally showed up when I was 29. Um, and, and to 29 be, in like 11 months. Yes. Like, yes. Un, he by was the just under the wire. Chin, yeah. Chin. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a good time. My yes. 20s. <laughs> yes. Um, so I find that sometimes we come to church, sometimes coming to church, honestly, was the hardest thing for me to do. Just being honest. Um, I, I remember, um, moving when I lived in Scranton, um, Grant and PA, um, I had to go find a church, and I was committed to finding a church, but um, Kyle's doing the office theme song. <laughs> it's not as fun living in Scranton as the office makes it look, by the way. <laughs> um, it makes Warren look amazing, so I'm thankful for that. Um, so I remember going to church the first time, like to visit a church, and so I'm driving. I'd gone to kind of the big church with all the singles, and that was like brutal in its own way, because it's like a meat market, you know? I'm like, okay, this is not my scene. This is not my thing. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try a family church, Bible church. That's kind of how I grew up. So I'm driving, and I'm sorry, I'm seeing Allie here. This is when I knew Allie in my life. I was at this very conservative um, Baptist college, and there was only one non-Baptist church that was approved, and I was like, guess who's going to that church? <laughs> so I'm driving to Grace. It was a still very conservative Bible church, but I'm driving. I know no one because everyone from the school goes to Baptist churches, and um, I'm just praying, like, Lord, like, when I get there, like, just let me feel awkward, and, like, let me find someone, and, I, like, let there be a seat in the back so I don't have to, like, make a scene, and... Um, so sure enough, I kind of slip in the back and I'm kind of like watching, it's all families. I'm like the only single person there. Um, but I loved the church. I loved the preaching. I love the people. And so I kind of just kept praying. And finally, um, there was a family that I was like, so can I sit with you guys? <laughs> so I started sitting with them and then finally they like invited me to lunch. And so every Sunday I would eat lunch with them. And if I was there over holiday, I would go see them because my family was all in South Dakota. Um, and in that season, um, that was such a gift being adopted by that family. They then moved, um, and another family adopted me. I was teaching Sunday school and, um, one of my favorite little guys in that class, his, his mom and dad kind of adopted me into their family. So I just want to say a couple things. One, sometimes if you're single, sometimes that means you have more time and energy for investing in other people. Um, the most rich season of discipleship was when I was single and working at Moody, and my whole life was college students 24-7. I mean, I was available to them. I could go out for coffee. I could go, I had money to go out for dinner all the time. We could go shopping. Like, I was available. 
Um, and then I married Kyle and some of that margin disappeared. And then we um, had Jack and even more of that margin disappeared. Um, so if you are someone who has more time, invest in other people. Find people to adopt. Um, if you're of an older age, find a younger family to adopt. Find someone that needs an older sister. Um, just be present in their life. Take them to coffee. Invite them over. Spend time with them. Your investment matters. Um, if you're someone who feels like you don't really have time or maybe you don't have a lot to give in this season, maybe you feel kind of um, overwhelmed with the things going on in your life, then I would encourage you to find a family to adopt you. Um, and as families here at Regen, be on the lookout for singles who come to church and adopt them. Like, say hello. Have them sit with you. Don't let them feel awkward. Don't make them sit alone. Don't make them stand awkwardly after the service by themselves. Um, if you're going to lunch, invite them to come to lunch with you. Um, and through that, you may be surprised by the depth of relationship. And some of you are already doing this and doing an awesome job. I just want to speak into that. I think we've tried to kind of model that with Aaron. And Aaron actually kind of taught us about that mm -hmm. because he, that's kind of been his pattern, is that he has, um, when he's been in a church, looked for a family to kind of adopt him and take him in. And so um, I just want to encourage you that the ripple effects of what you're doing and in investing in those relationships can go far beyond what you can even see right now. So whether you're single or married or young or old, um, find people you can live life with. Find spiritual family. Seek them out. Um, talk about how God is getting your attention through scripture. Have meals together. Live life together. And um, through that, um, enjoy the, the joy that comes from being together. And I think it occurs to me, I didn't, I don't know if this is God or not, but don't assume that someone else is taking care of it. Like, don't assume that someone else, particularly, never assume that we've got it, okay? Hi, our life is just crazy now, okay? So um, don't, don't assume that someone else in our community has it handled. And if you're single and need to be adopted, ask someone. Yeah, it's, it's maturity to ask for what you want and what you need, yeah. so... Um, so Kyle also gave me the honor of talking about what to do if you and your spouse aren't on the same page. He did the outline, and I was like, wait a minute. We were going back and <laughs> forth, and then all of a sudden I have two. I see. Um, all right, so um, let's say you're really learning a lot. You're diving into scripture. You're super excited about what you see Jesus doing in your life and loves people around you. You're ready to join every circle. You're ready to be at every church event. You're ready to invite every neighbor over for dinner, and your spouse is like, whoa, slow your roll. <laughs> like, I did not sign up for this. This was not part of the deal. Um, maybe even if, like, you have a roommate, your roommate's like, nope, no thank you. Um, maybe you're really excited and your friends around you are kind of like, you're a little too Jesus-y these days. You need to, you know, calm down a little bit. Um, how do we navigate that? Um, mm -hmm. Well, when Bob and Pam uh, came to Marriage Conference a couple years ago, they talked about the difference between a goal and a desire. So a goal is something that you have control over. I can have the goal of saving $100 because I can put $5 aside every week until I have $100, and that's under my control. I cannot have the goal that Kyle saves $100. I do not have control over how Kyle spends his money at Nova every week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, he's, it's kind of true, though. <laughs> so um, I can have the desire that he would save $100, and I can encourage him. We can have conversations about how I'd appreciate if he would do that. I can um, pray that he would not spend money, but, like, I can't make it my goal. I can't control it. And so I would say the same is true of spiritual growth in your spouse or friend or significant other. You cannot make their spiritual growth your goal because you are not in charge of their relationship with Jesus. 
Um, you can pray about it, and by all means, do. Pray and pray and pray. Pray specifically, pray consistently, pray faithfully that God would change their heart. Um, and then live in a way that, like, they would want to know Jesus. See, here's the other thing. Like, so you're going 100 miles an hour, but in the meantime, you're like, you're such an idiot. Why won't you keep up with me? Like, this is so important. Why don't you care about what I care about? Like, this is so important. What's your problem? Okay, yeah, that, anybody who's married will just tell you that's never going to work for anything. Yeah. Um, so my challenge would be to you, how do you live the most like Jesus you can every day? Yeah. How do you love them like Jesus would love them? How do you serve them like Jesus would serve them? How do you um, treat them and your children and your coworkers like Jesus would treat them? Because here's the deal. They're watching you 24-7. All the time. And so if your life is not matching up with what you say you believe, why do they want any part of that? Hmm. And so um, as you, if you are in that position, we are praying with you. We are with you in that. Um, First Peter says, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. And so I just want to encourage you, um, if you're in that situation, don't give up hope. Don't stop praying. And keep growing and being more like Jesus every day. Mm-hmm. So in a minute, Mike will come and kind of lead some response time around some of this stuff, but want to encourage you to just kind of maybe stop already and start thinking about what we've been saying and how has God gotten your attention today. Um, What we're trying to do as a church is build a culture of wise builders. So if you think about in Matthew 7, Jesus tells the story that the foolish person is like someone who heard, heard God's word and didn't put it into practice. So they build a house and the house falls down when life hits it. He says, wise builders are people who hear God's word and put it into practice. And so this response time that we build into every gathering is simply to invite you to be a wise builder and not be a foolish builder. Because a foolish builder, someone who comes in, hears that felt good, I'm out. A wise builder says, here's the thing I'm going to press into this week. And so maybe the thing you want to press into is hospitality. Uh, Maybe the thing that you want to press into is ministry together as spouses and initiating a conversation. Okay, what is something that we can do together? Um, Maybe uh, if you're single, it is starting to pray about who in our community would be good to adopt you or to adopt. If you're a couple, maybe who is someone that in our community that we need to take more care of and pay attention to? Uh, Which of these things? But the goal of this is that together we're priming the pump of revival and renewal in our midst so that we're ready to press into what God reveals uh, by his spirit. So do you want to? Let's pray. Um, Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for each and every person in this room and for how you've made them, you've wired them, you've created them to be your disciple and to make disciples. And so, Father, I ask that this week that as they um, lean into your word and lean into what you are calling them to in particular, that they would find great joy in following you and in seeing um, you use them to make um, a difference um, even today. So we ask these things in your name. Amen. Um, so a few things that stood out to me um, during that sermon was um, how can us uh, as men grow up and allow ourselves to learn to follow at times? Um, and for the women in the room, how can you step out and become vocal and spiritual leaders? Um, also, in what way can we turn our lives outward and become spiritual mothers and fathers while discipling others? And one last thing was um, 
stood out to me that uh, I try to remember at times is the smallest things to us is sometimes the most impactful to others. 